Welcome to the Parenting Well podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you're listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. This leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. So let's fill that well. Today's well source is Aaron Soto. Aaron is the best-selling author of The Mother of All Fights, Stage 3 Cancer Survivor, Wellness Coach, and Mother of Four, based in Orange County, California. She teaches life-changing habits to reclaim control over your health for cancer thrivers and anyone wanting to know the most effective evidence-based prevention measures to protect against the development and support recovery. Sign up for one of her popular online courses and receive her weekly tips on her website and check out her Living Well app for healthy habits, goal tracking, and motivation. So welcome, Erin. So happy to have you here with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to speaking with you. Yes, I think you have such an interesting and inspirational story. So why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about your journey. Absolutely. So um, yes, as you shared, I'm, I was basically, I considered myself to be the average overly committed, crazy busy mom of four and was kind of just going through life in my thirties. And I knew at the time that I definitely could do more in terms of my self-care and wellness, but I was busy and my family was my primary concern. And I wasn't really worried about my health because I thought I was leading a very healthy life at the time. Um, it was the furthest concern was anything around my health. I'm a, I'm a distance runner. And I thought I was eating the best diet for every, everything that we did and supporting our children. And one day uh, my life essentially came to a crashing halt. And I was diagnosed with stage three colorectal cancer at age 37. And um, obviously it was a very unexpected diagnosis. It turns out I have no genetic predisposition. Um, I was really frustrated that this had happened, but more importantly, I think part of the frustration came from the fact that my doctors, my oncologist, my surgeon, no one at the time, no one could tell me why this had happened. Um, and to this day, I'll, I, I probably never will find out an identifiable reason exactly for what the root cause behind my cancer was, but kind of brought me to where I am today on a mission to sort of search for answers. And it turned out to be um, you know, a wake up call for me to start taking better care of myself and my family. And it sparked a burning desire in me to become an active participant in my healing journey. And, um, also of course, as I worked on recovering from cancer and that's sort of where I got to where I am. Um, and thankfully, as you shared, I, I wrote a book that shared everything I've learned along the way to help the next patient in line. And now I'm committed to helping others learn, you know, basically a roadmap to prevention and recovery in hopes to, um, you know, reduce the risk. And to the answer my question, what I quickly discovered is, and we can touch upon this later, but as a colon cancer patient, um, my doctors told me it was a case of bad luck and a mystery. And when I started doing research, I quickly discovered, and, and this really shocked and surprised me initially, all of the, there were so many parents, young adults in their thirties, young patients in their twenties, you know, college students that were part of these colon cancer support groups. And that wasn't just like a 
few and far between. That was the majority of who I was encountering. And I thought, oh, this wasn't me being a rare case of bad luck. This is now the new normal of what we're seeing with this particular form of cancer. And that was an eye opener for me. It helped me kind of discover the answer to my question of, you know, it wasn't hereditary risk that actually led to my developing the disease. It's what we now know as identifiable factors linked to cancer, you know, cancer cases on the rise across the board, particularly with the case of colon cancer, which I teach to help reduce the risk of onset for others. So hopefully you never have to go through yeah. what we went through. Well, that sounds frustrating when you feel like you are living a healthy life and you're doing all the, what we would say are the right things. And then you face this. So what are some of those things that you learned are linked? Yeah. So, you know, I, I wanted to do my research and find ways to just not only back up my medical team's work, but give myself the best chance at survival. And I knew that there could be ways I could help the process. And I essentially concluded at the end of the day, it's best to treat the whole person rather than just treating my disease of cancer, particularly because at the time I had no answer for how it happened. So I let my doctors get to work treating my disease. And I got to work behind trying to figure out what could have treating, what could have been the root cause. And I'm a huge proponent of integrative healthcare, essentially, which means coordinating non-mainstream with mainstream elements, providing holistic treatment. And I believe that this form of fighting disease or chronic illness kind of bridges together the best of both worlds. And you, you, you can use complementary therapies to build upon what you're doing in addition to conventional care. Um, I kind of feel like when I was first diagnosed, there was this weird world of one or the other. You, you believe in conventional treatment or you go mm -hmm. crazy. There were some books that I read that were really sharing what I consider to be dangerous information, like eat vegan, think happy thoughts, and your cancer will go away. And a lot of people were buying into this whole holistic health uh, avenue because there are some that's very effective to a certain degree. A lot of what I do teach in terms of integrative healthcare does make a difference. It's very powerful, but um, I believe in, in also trusting my oncologist and my surgeon and what we also know, conventionally speaking, I think you're the best of both worlds. You don't need to pick a side. And what I ended up discovering in my research were common themes based upon thousands of cancer patients who have defied a serious terminal diagnosis with complete reversal of the disease. And most of them all attribute what they consider to be core integrative health practices that cancer survivors the world over have successfully used and believe helps support their recovery, myself included. So what those revolve around, um, I call them the core five. That's what I teach in my program. And it has to do with nutrition. It has to do with exercise and healing movement. It has to do with stress. It has to do with community and connection. Um, just to name a few, we can go into all of that in, in greater detail. But basically what we now know, one in two Americans are expected to be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. But what we've come to find is that half of cancer deaths globally are actually related to these same behavioral lifestyle factors and thus could have been prevented. So I got my answer. It, it, it could have been one of any of the core five mm -hmm. behavioral practices that I was doing wrong, but since it wasn't a hereditary factor in my case, it was probably one of those causes. And that's what I work at teaching in terms of prevention and also the same steps to support recovery for those facing chronic illness. Since we're doing a podcast that really targets parents and caregivers, this might be kind of a hard question, but I'm curious what you think is the most important thing to remember when you as a parent are personally going through something so challenging when you are interacting with your child or thinking about your role as a parent while you're going through something like this? 
you know, as I said, when I talked about one of the, 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 the things that most shocked me after my diagnosis was how many parents were dealing with the same disease, colon cancer, but just how many parents in general have to face cancer. And I say in my book that, you know, there really is no convenient time to face a cancer diagnosis or season in life, but, um, you know, parents, right, in particular, we have to juggle this unique set of circumstances. Life doesn't stop after cancer. Your bills need to be paid. Your kids need help with homework. There's errands to be run, meals to be prepared, and never-ending responsibilities that caring for your family entails. And so I actually dedicated an entire chapter of my book to this topic so that parents kind of sharing from my personal insight of what my family and I went through in hopes that someone who might just be getting started at this will have ideas of what to expect when it comes to everything that it comes with parenting cancer from talking to your children about the diagnosis and what you might expect, at least based what happened with my own children and my own family. They say no one fights alone, and that couldn't be truer. <laughs> Cancer affects every person in the entire family, not just the one who's the patient. Did I answer your question? You did. I'm curious, especially since you have four children, and I know you have twins, but then you have two others that are different ages. What was that like? Was it together? Was it different because they were developmentally at a different place in their life? How did you share what was going on for you in a way that they could process and, and be part of it without being afraid? Yeah. Um, you know, everyone in your life and in your family are going to feel worried, angry, or afraid. They're going to be going through the emotional roller coaster along with you. You know, that when you share about a diagnosis. And as parents, I think for me, the biggest struggle initially following diagnosis and before sitting down with my kids was that we try really hard to teach our children all about life. But it turns out they're usually the ones that end up teaching us what life is about. And I had initially struggled not even wanting to introduce cancer to them. I didn't want to take away, you know, their sense of normalcy, their sense of security, their childhood and like innocence and and introduce this traumatic disease into a child's world. I really just wanted to shield them from it. But I had no choice. If there's a parent listening today who has to have this conversation Um, this is what I talk about in the book to try and help because you obviously have to have the conversation and talking about cancer in the family with children, just as you touched upon needs to be addressed differently, depending on what they're capable of, of hearing and how they're most likely to react. And so talking sensitively and very honestly about a diagnosis, um, was my goal because I think it provides children with some form of reassurance during a time of great uncertainty and change. So I think for an example, uh, I had at the time, my youngest was in preschool and he was four. And then my eldest, my twins were turning 10 and I had a seven-year-old. And so I talk about how this impacted everyone, every member of our family and every one of my children very deeply and very differently, depending on their age. Um, and, And I do share examples in my book of what those conversations looked like, depending on what they would be mature enough to fathom and make sense of, and also to kind of give them enough information so they wouldn't leave it up to their imagination, which could take them to scary places, especially when dealing with children. And so I think the best the best advice, regardless of child's age, because that conversation is going to look different. And if you really wanted to go into the details of what those conversations look like, we can, or you can read my book, but the end of the day, honesty, because like I just shared, I think they need to understand you know, the hard parts of the conversation that most people are going to be too kind to ask you about, but that your children need to hear. And it was actually my children who asked 
the hardest questions of me, like, are you going to die? <laughs> and yeah. what, what does this actually mean? And looking back, I often say the experience helped us grow together stronger as a family, but that doesn't mean it didn't hurt everyone during the process. And that my children all had to live under the same pressures and this constant sense of worry that not just my husband and I felt, but that they definitely felt and were impacted by during the journey. And that has to do with school. That has to do with confidence. That has to do with anxiety. And so I talk a lot about making sure give me, you get access to help, uh, not only from yourself and your family members, but I felt it was really important. My children had um, someone else that outside of our family that they could speak with about right, this, right after we shared the news with them. Yeah. I, uh, I think I shared with you that my son was diagnosed with a lymphoma. So it's a slightly different because it wasn't me, it was my son. Um, what you're saying rings so true for our situation because lymphomas are a type of cancer and, and the type that he had can develop into non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So the doctors we initially had spoke to him without using the word cancer ever. Mm. And then when we finally went to the specialist, he did, and he was shocked. And one of the things we did to help him process that yeah. is we said, cancer is like dogs. Some cancers are really big and scary. And some cancers are kind of like grandma's poodle. And you have the nice small poodle type of cancer. And it was a way for him to like yes. put it into perspective. And for us to be able to share with him, there are things we can do with the kind of cancer that you have right now. I thought I'd share that story because I think it is so important to be honest with them and to have a way of describing that they can understand and they can relate to in their own language. It's so true. And the conversations I held with my four-year-old and my seven-year-old, they didn't really, when we brought up the word cancer, I could have said any word. <laughs> they didn't know what it meant, right? It was in real time coming home and infusing chemo and then actually watching as I got sick or seeing the side effects that they started to show their reactions and the response and, mm -hmm. and frustrations and acting out. Whereas with my older children, they knew what cancer meant. They wanted to know if I was going to die from it. And, you know, to kind of, just like you said, when you're, when you're talking about it, the honesty, as hard as it is, you know, I, I feel it's so important to be very transparent in these conversations. Um, and this is relevant, just like you said, and thank you for sharing with me about your son. Cause I think this discussion is really relevant for anyone who needs to explain can a cancer diagnosis to children or teenagers, uh, whether it's a child sibling or a friend or a grandparent or a significant adult in their life who has cancer, right? Um, as for older children who do know what it's like, you know, my my son asked the hardest question of, are, are you going to survive? And I, I, honest, I honestly answered, you know, colon cancer is the second, has the highest second death rate of all forms of cancer. So it's not a great cancer that you want to have an advanced stage three form of. But I said, you know, um, I wouldn't necessarily die from it, but death is a possibility. I said that. And I had to explain, you know, how there is no way of knowing whether or not I would survive it and the uncertainty around the future, but that I could guarantee my surgeon and, and my oncologist and that I was going to do everything in my power to try and survive it. And, um, and while stage three of the form of cancer I was facing was a little disheartening. There's so many others who have survived it and fully recovered. And that's what we should hold on to hope and wish for. Mm. That was the hardest. Honestly, I, when I look back on my whole cancer journey, sitting down and sharing the news with my family in hindsight was the most painful part. Mm -hmm.
yeah. other than receiving the news yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so absolutely. Well, we talk a lot about resilience and I think that when you're faced with a situation like this, it is happening. You have to deal with it and yeah. it presents an opportunity for conversations for our children to learn what resilience is and what that means, what it looks like for you and what it looks like for them. And that they may not have cancer, but they are going to face really hard challenges and they're going to have to figure out how to get through them and look for help and resources. So, so it certainly presents an opportunity to make those connections for them and help them yes. see that. And you have yeah, the, it, like hope and power within yourself to, to really push forward. I think looking in, I can now fast forward years later, there's no question in my mind that, you know, I think, thankfully I survived. I'm years out now in remission and my health is fully restored. And while it was, as I said, a very painful time with some frighteningly close calls that did wound all of us and left that emotional toll in the end, my kids were the ones, like you said, who showed me how resilient they are. And together we all gained wisdom through everyone's experience going through it. And truly are stronger as a family. But I also think my children, you know, are wise beyond their years and a lot more compassionate and understanding than other children their age because of it. And while it was awful to go through young, I think they will grow up to be better adults in the long run because of it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of trying to make, make the most out of a terrible experience and bring some purpose to the pain, but I hope that's what we all aim to do with what happened. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. My son, big part of it was his diet. And um, I remember when he was old enough to go to birthday parties or do things on his own where he was going to eat pizza and pop and sugary treats. And then he would come home and he would get sick. Yeah. And what was remarkable was just talking to about about that with him. He was able to say, you know, my friends do these same things but their bodies don't tell them that it's not okay. And I'm really lucky that my body actually tells me that I'm not okay and that I need to take care of myself. So that was remarkable to me that he was able to do that and that that has carried over into his adult life that that he sees that. So yeah, absolutely. And and in my book I talk about just like you had said diet being part of it. And so in an effort to support mom being the cancer patient, my entire family got involved and jumped on to my own wellness journey and supporting me. We all made lifestyle transitions with the core five that I talk about diet, just being one of those pillars um, in an effort to show support for me. And we were on at the time when I was diagnosed, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's still as popular as it was, but that we were following what was the paleo diet. We ate mm -hmm. a lot of meat um, because I thought at the time it was healthy protein and it would support my daughter who has an autoimmune disease and for a variety of reasons. But then, you know, when I later discovered based on research that the plant-based diet, right, is, is, is very powerful in terms of dealing with many forms of chronic illness, cancer included in certain studies and research, showed me that I really wanted to cut back <laughs> on our red meat consumption and lunch and delicates, <laughs> what we now know are linked. So I had a full transition and that's fine for me as the patient. But when you're going through something like that with an entire family, they were really, really um, 
I, I was surprised at how, because a lot of parents who I, I speak with, they go, well, I don't know, I can do this for myself, but I don't know how I can get my kids to make these lifestyle and behavioral changes. But just like you said, we did it all together. And for my family, it was more of a gradual change where I dove all in cancer crushing mode, but they didn't have to. But now years later, that is our normal. And even though it was gradual, we do follow healthier practices across all of those core five practices, including diet. And my kids regularly comment to me, just like you said, they go to a friend's house or they'll go to a party and have pizza and ice cream and they come home and they go, man, I do not feel great. My stomach is making me pay for eating foods. We don't, we're, we're no longer used to. And I can directly see And my old, my eldest are teenagers. Now they don't like to eat unhealthy. Um, not only because of course they know that they're at an increased risk because of my condition and they now do have a hereditary factor to protect against, but also because they started at such a young age, I think we've taught those lifestyle practices in childhood, just like your son. It's a lot easier to carry with you. It's not as hard of a transition later in life. All the more reason for parents listening to really take that to heart because it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So you gave a specific example on the diet front um, with eating more of a plant-based diet. Can you give like one example for the other four pillars that people could implement in their life? I can give a lot of examples. So obviously what you're eating, what you eat is the true, you are what you eat. People always say, I say, that's the truest statement that ever existed because it's not just a metaphor, but a fact, what you put in your body impacts mood, energy, physical health. Um, and I discovered, you know, like I said, through the research that certain forms, certain foods can actually help you to heal. And just as other foods can actually cause disease, particularly the American diet is one of the worst out there. We are, we are really poisoning ourselves with a lot of processed convenient foods, which is what I was guilty of eating, right? I would go to Costco and buy, you know, whatever was in bulk and convenient. And I could quickly throw onto the table in 15 minutes. And now I prioritize time to plan out meals and, and plan around diet to support our health, because, you know, I'd rather put that time out front and not pay with chemo and cancer treatment later. Um, what you're drinking, right. Proper hydration and then clean living, right. We all know exposure to toxic chemicals and there's kind of this clean living movement, right. That we're all going, we, we hear about. And I thought at the time that I had been making responsible choices as, as a consumer. So I would go and look for the laundry detergent that said free and clear of bad chemicals. But then when I had cancer and actually discovered how many of the products that I thought were clean were actually dangerously dirty. And that was eye-opening for me because the marketing ploy, you know, and the tactics of what the, the extent they'll go to, to disguise a product, um, and understanding how the pervasive use of toxic chemicals are actually found in so many common household and personal care products. It's actually appalling. And so I teach how to shop for safer and cleaner ingredients. There's really simple tools that you can use to help identify and champion better protection on behalf of yourself and family. And I'll just give one example real quick here today. There's an app. I'm not in any way affiliated with this app. So this is just freebie, but it's called Think Dirty. And you can scan an item while you're shopping in the store, or if you're shopping on Amazon and whatever it may be, you can enter the name in and it will give you on a scale of one to 10 green and red. It will tell you whether it's clean, whether it's medium, whether it's dirty, it will tell you what ingredients in there and why, and it'll help you just do a quick two second check if you're buying a new product or go around your home and test the products you have. Mm -hmm. And that's how I discovered how many of the products we had were actually far dirtier than they claimed to be. (laughs) Um, And then exercise, right? We all know obesity is a known 
risk factor and, and increased likelihood of cancer. Um, and also just how important healing movement is, you know, for your head and your heart, uh, not just your physical assets, but um, in terms of keeping you at an ideal weight to reduce your risk of developing disease. Um, and then rest and renewal is another core. You know, you'd be surprised that 30% of adults have trouble sleeping and how bad a lack of sleep actually is on your health it has a huge impact. So the sleep deficiency from weight gain and irritability to increased risks of disease, like heart disease and high blood pressure and stroke and mm -hmm. diabetes. So, um, and then the renewal side of that, and this is where I really, it's like my favorite part of what I teach is, you know, I think as adults, well, especially as parents who are listening, right? It's, it's so refreshing when you sit down and play with your kids and you let go of your responsibilities. We kind of forget and we, we get so caught up in our job and our work and our parenting life, but renewal is actually a very, you know, play is a priority in my life. Now it's prioritizing more time for play and innovation, whether that be yes, playing with your kids or rocking out to music or painting or whatever it is that you kind of like to do creatively um, and really making more time and space for stuff like that. Cause it's actually very healing and studies will show. And I talk all about that in my course. And then finally, and this is where we're really struggling, let's just say in recent times, especially after the last few years of whatever everyone's faced with the pandemic, mental and emotional well-being. And, you know, so many of us, particularly here in the United States, we live a toxic, you know, overwhelm. We just go, go, go. And we're incredibly unhealthy in terms of flooding our immune system with harmful hormones. And <laughs> we live in a state of fight or flight. We're chronically stressed. And so, um, and for me, and when I looked at all the core five in my book, I really, I really dial in on the stress levels because um, I really believe that stress was the contributing factor behind my own disease development. And that's a crazy claim to make, but doctors will back it up and say that we all now know stress can cause and lead to disease. And there's even a way to calculate your risk um, about you know, where you're at in terms of stress levels, if you're, you know, dealing with stress that needs to be addressed and the likelihood and timeline of onset of disease diagnosis, you know, it could be two or three years and where you're at. So it's really, um, you can look it up. It's called the Holmes Ray stress test. You can Google it. Um, it's a powerful way if you're going through a particularly stressful season, change of job, um, it could be financial struggles, whatever it might be, divorce, you know, kind of check in and reduce your stress levels. Because um, I really believe the chronic stress I was experiencing in my life and many of many people who deal with cancer, actually I've interviewed a lot of cancer patients often will tell you two to three years before their diagnosis, something really awful happened in their life and their stress levels were off the scale, mm -hmm. um, myself included. And so I definitely put that connection together and how, what you think and what you feel can help or hurt you. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful, powerful stuff. I don't share. And that's the other part. I feel like um, so many of us, we know a little bit about what we need to be more doing more of. And I never want to lead from a place of fear mm. um, because that can also just put you right back down in that stress level. Oh my gosh, I'm not eating well. Oh, I'm so stressed. I don't have time to rest. I'm not. That's not wh why I share it. I really share it because it is empowering information when you're aware and you just make even a little bit of an effort each day to do a little more or calendar in healthy lifestyle practices. Again, just make a little more effort today than you did tomorrow, baby steps. And over time, 
you can have a lifestyle transformation in a little, as little as in my program, I have what's called the five-week anti-cancer wellness program, but truly in as little as a few months, you can experience remarkable changes that you'll see and feel. Um, and for me, you know, the goal when I first was diagnosed was to survive at all costs, but now kind of like your son, I know you shared this with me, you know, we're looking to maintain, I got well, but I need to stay well. Right. And I'm at an increased risk. My children are at an increased risk. So everything I do today is to remain in remission and to protect my loved ones. And that applies to all of us. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. So one of the questions I like to ask everybody I interview is how do you think parents need to best show up for their children? How can they best show up for their children? What does it look like? That is a really great question. And I love that you ask everyone that. And um, I will say this, uh, cancer was a pivotal change in our family's life and how we show up for our children. Um, we, I used to, as a younger mom at the time when I had younger children, I tried, I compared myself as a parent to what all of my peers were doing, you know, keeping up with the Jones. Oh, they have Jane in five different activities. Well, so should my Sienna. My daughter should be doing five things. She should be a Girl Scout and she should be a soccer player and she should be doing music. And like, I just tried to do what I thought everyone else was doing. And it turns out what most of the people around me were doing was actually not necessarily for the the best, the well-being of a parent and our family life and the dynamic of our kids. And of course, I think we, we slowed down by force in 2020 with what happened with the pandemic, but also with cancer trying to really deepen a connection with our kids. And, you know, we wanted to make the most of the time we had left with the uncertainty of my future. And that changed how I show up and how I parent my kids. And we lead a very different lifestyle and a slower pace and a much more present pace than we ever were before. And that also comes with, as I shared, I'm now a parent where my oldest are teenagers. So that came with wisdom and life experience. Mm -hmm. um, but for those of you with younger children, um, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think I spent a good 10 solid years of parenting trying to be like who I thought were the good parents around me. And when I let go of all of that and focused on what I needed to do for myself and my family, parenting became a joy. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's a great question. So what would you want to leave parents with today? I think it's just a really important to kind of dial in on how your wellness is too important to wait, whether you're thinking about yourself as a parent. Um, you know, I did not go in and seek help for the minor red flags that I had prior to my cancer, that something was wrong. And there were red flags for about six to 12 months, but I was too busy driving to softball and football and cooking meals. And my wellness was pushed to the back burner. So, um, but just as important with yourself and putting, prioritizing your well-being and listening to those signs and red flags, the same can be said for really taking, if anything, use my story as an example of what not to do and to understand that even if you think you're young and you're healthy and you're doing everything right, it's, we're living in a time where you really do have to be proactive and you really have to be an advocate on behalf of yourself and those you love to protect against what we're dealing with nowadays in terms of health and reclaiming power over that. You have shared a few resources, which I'll make sure I put into the show notes for the podcast. Is there any other things you want to share with our audience about how to get a hold of you, other uh, resources that you have that are available to them? any highlights? 
Absolutely. So um, you can always visit my website. It's erinsoto.com. I have a lot of free tools and resources, including meal plans, which, you know, have recipes that are family friendly and kid tested. If you want to try and incorporate some healthier meals into your family's, you know, regimen this week or um, test out some cleaner eating. But I also um, would love to share with your audience a free copy of my book. It's a best-selling book on cancer. And it's, you know, not just for those who have cancer, it's really an affirmation for life. And it's a story, it's called The Mother of All Fights. So it's about motherhood and parenting. So everyone can get a free, um, you'll have a link to a page where they can download that book for free. Um, and last but not least, I'd love to offer your listeners an opportunity for those who are interested, uh, a discount to join the anti-cancer five-week wellness program so that they can start practicing these foundations with their own families, um, rather than waiting for, you know, a crisis, be proactive and, and get ahead of it. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for providing that for them. Absolutely. I'm probably going to hop on there myself. <laughs> Um, well, I think so, you're already doing a lot. I know you've, you shared with me because you, what your family's been through. So you have yeah. a little more motivation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, so thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your story. It's a very personal story. Um, and also just putting the time to write your book and get this out into the world and take a stand for what people can have in their life and the things that they can avoid. So well, I really, really you. appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to, to sit here and have our powerful conversation with. And I hope that between your perspective as a parent of a child with cancer and mine as a parent going through cancer, you know, we can help some listeners today. Thank you so much for having me. Before we go, I do want to just take a quick second to mention one of our sponsors, Premier Members Credit Union. Um, they've been a very generous sponsor to us for, for a lot of years. So you can also go to our website, which I'll put in the show notes. It's www.penbv.org. There you can find our calendar of events that we have going on. You'll also see resources. Also, if you were inspired by today's conversation and the work that we're doing here at Penn um, inspires you, we would love to have you donate, become a sponsor, or find another way to get involved. We always have ways to include people. So we hope that today's conversation has added to your parenting well and that the information and insights that we shared here with you today will help you in your journey of creating happy, healthy humans. It was an honor to have you with us. And until next time, happy parenting.